0: We're starting a brand new preaching series today. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Um, So the the series is called More Than Conquerors. It's a study on the book of Joshua. Um, We we had a a great weekend away, as as, uh, was just mentioned, by Stephen Hannah. And part of that was Phil and Sarah Varley, who have moved from London to Rotterdam, from a very large church and where their family lives and where they've been brought up, to go and plant a church with just a few people in Rotterdam, believing that's what God had called them to do. And really, within that story, they were sharing their journey of faith, which is something we're all on in this room. We're on a journey of faith. It could be you're not a Christian yet, and you're on a journey towards faith, or it could be you've been a Christian for years, and you are still on that journey of of just saying, Lord, where do you want me to be, and how would you have me respond to what you're saying to me? Every one of us is on a journey of faith. And they just brilliantly shared what that feels like and what that looks like, the journey of lament, the journey of living in the gap between the now and the not yet, and the journey of self-surrender as you lay down your life for what Jesus tells you to do. So we felt this would be a really good series to to follow that, Um, and um, I I feel like what is going to happen over this next few weeks as we study the book of Joshua, I, I, I was at a uh, a small group barbecue a couple of weeks ago with, uh, and Steve and Hannah were there and, and th- their son, Fraser, um, who, who's, how old is he? 12, Twelve yeah. And uh, he, he, he brought a two-litre bottle of Coke up to me at the barbecue. And uh, with a big smile, he gave it to me. He says, uh, Dan, would you help me open this, please? And of course, you know, I've got four kids. I know what they're like. <laughs> so I take it and I just very, very slowly open the lid because he's fizzed it and he's so disappointed because I, I, <laughs> he wanted me to get covered with Coke. And he said, oh. He said, uh, I know, Fraser, I know how kids work. So I, I feel like what God is going to do in this series, I feel like God is just going to be gently shaking a bottle for us over this next few weeks as we study the book of Joshua and the characters in the book of Joshua. So God is just going to be gently awakening a journey of faith in our lives. And I want you to just be ready for that and to let God to just keep stirring. And we're not going to let it all out on week one. We're just going to let it just gently, God stir us again and again and again. Um, So uh, the, the book of Joshua in the Old Testament is in many ways, it's the equivalent to the book of Acts in the New Testament. So the book of Acts is about how the Great Commission how the story, the good news of Jesus went to the ends of the earth through just the tiny group of people who were just very ordinary. But in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they become different people and they become those who can take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Today's Pentecost Sunday. We celebrate that moment across the church. The book of Joshua By contrast, it's in the Old Testament, and it's a book about a second generation of former slaves who get given a promise by God, and they cross the River Jordan and into the promised land that God said that they would enter. And it's the story of conquest. It's the story of them going into the land as God had promised. There's differences between The New Testament book of Acts and the Old Testament book of Joshua, but we're mainly going to focus on the similarities, but we will delve into some differences at different points. It's about God's plan, God's mission moving forwards and how it happens. Now today we're going to look partly at the, the whole of this book of Joshua, but partly at the person of Joshua so that we can get to grips with this person, so that we can understand what it is to be somebody who moves forward and believes God. So we're going to read from Joshua chapter one and as we read about Joshua on this Pentecost Sunday, the first thing we'll notice is this, that it starts with a a promise of God's strength and power and help when Joshua and the people of Israel most need it. That's exactly what Pentecost Sunday is about. God clothing them with power for purpose and you and I can be those people today. So we're going to read from Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. It'll appear on the screen. Here we go. Thanks, Josh. We've actually got Josh on the words today. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Coincidence, right? Wow. wow. Okay. <laughs> Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, and from the great river, the Euphrates, to the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready three days from now. You will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. So the book of Joshua has three main themes. And if you were a Jew, you would have, uh, you would have read this literature and you would have understood it to be kind of semi-prophetic in its writing in that it's not just a history book in the Old Testament. It's not just somebody telling a story of how the conquest happened. It's telling a story of what God was doing in the midst of that. So it would instruct future generations on how God works in human history to bring about his purpose. And these are the three themes that we look at and we understand as we read the book of Joshua. The first is this. It's the story of God working. It's God's work. So Chapter 1, verse 2, get ready, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them and to the Israelites. There's God speaking. If you were to count in these 11 verses how many times God is mentioned, either by name or God speaking, saying I or me or the Lord, it's 14 times in 11 verses. This is a story about God's work. From start to finish. In fact, the name Joshua, um, he was renamed by Moses in Numbers 13. His name was Hoshea, and Moses called him Jeshua, Yeshua, which, which his, his name meant save. And Moses said, we're going to call you God saves from now on. In fact, if you fast forward to the New Testament, The the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua is Jesus. It's the same name. Uh, He will save his people from their sins. That's Jesus saving. Jesus saves, God saves. Um, Joshua means God saves. So Joshua's own identity in this book is linked with the person of God himself. You know, to be a Christian is to have your identity transformed and changed to make God part of your own identity. Your identity isn't to do with where you were born or who you were born as or what your upbringing was or who your family is. Your identity is first and most discovered in God himself. And it could be you're not yet a Christian here today. This is where your destiny, this is where your identity begins, right here. The story teaches that our best identity is found when God is with us. To be a Christian is to find your best destiny is found when God is at the center. A long time later, the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Philippi. And he said this about them. He couldn't see them because he was in prison. And he said, but you know what? I'm pretty confident how this is going to turn out. He says, I'm confident uh, that he who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's a story of God working, salvation. Your life is a story of God working, God bringing things about more than it is about your journey and your self effort Here's the second theme of the book of Joshua. So it's God working. Okay, here's the second theme. It's God's promise. Uh, Joshua 1 verse 3 that we read, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. He refers back to the promise that God gave Moses at the beginning of Numbers and Deuteronomy. And if you were actually to look at the promise God gave Moses, that was just a repeat of what he'd already said to Abraham back in Genesis, a promise of this land being entered into and belonging to his descendants. The book is about a promise coming to pass. Uh, at the end of uh, the book of Genesis, um, Joseph, who is in Egypt, he's—he's. He's, uh, do you remember he, he got put in prison in Egypt and he became the savior of Egypt, and he, at the end he dies there and he says to his brothers, he says, when I die, he says, I want you to take my bones and take them back to where my father lived, back to um, Canaan. He says I'm about to die but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. God will surely come to your aid and you must carry my bones up from this place. At the end of the book of Joshua, that's exactly what they do. They lay they, they've been carrying Joseph how, how weird is this they've been carrying Joseph's bones around for 400 years waiting to bring him into this land that God had been promising them for hundreds of years. And sometimes we don't understand the timings of God's promises in our life. But we do know this, that he has never, ever broken one. He never, ever will because God does not lie. He's faithful to every promise he makes you and every promise he makes me. To be a Christian is to believe a promise. Jesus says, whoever believes in me will live even though they die. Uh, At the start of this story we read today, we find Joseph, uh, we find uh, Joshua facing the Jordan River, looking into the promised land across the river. Uh, Christians of old, of hundreds of years ago, they would, they, it became popular during the writing of things like the Pilgrim's Progress, that river was like this death that was to be passed, to get into our promised land of heaven. And you read hymns sometimes, we sing maybe one or two of them, where it talks about when I tread the, the, the banks of Jordan or the verge of Jordan. Uh, May my anxious fears subside. Death of death, hell's destruction. Land me safe on Canaan's side. It's this kind of allegory. Well, well, Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, then your inheritance in heaven is this. It's to to be safe with him on the other side of this, this thing. No matter what obstacle faces, death is that final enemy that we will all face. But Jesus, the Savior, he leads us through that place and into Our promised land of eternal life. But God has made more promises than just our personal salvation. He's promised to build his church and for the gates of hell not to prevail against it. He's also promised his son, Jesus, in Psalm 2. He says, I will make the ends of the earth your possession, your inheritance. God has promised his son, Jesus, the nations. And he doesn't lie, he will not break his promise. And in Joshua, we begin to see the unfolding of the promises of God coming to pass. Here's the third theme of the book of Joshua God's requirement. And the requirement is this total commitment, total loyalty from the people of God. It says, Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you, do not turn from it to the right or to the left. That you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. To be a Christian is to live your life for God, loyal to Jesus, doing what He says, being fully committed to His word fully dependent on him and knowing that that's the best kind of life that's what success looks like for the Christian it might not look like success in the eyes of the world but for the Christian it looks like not departing to the left or to the right of what God says is to love his word and it's to know that this book is his word given to us and you probably noticed it but it was quite a startling opening in the chapter it says the first thing he says to Joshua he says well Moses, my servant, is dead. It's the end of an era. It's a new season. But it's also a new model of leadership for the people of God at this point. See, if you just think, what are Moses' greatest moments? It's it's kind of him and the Ten Commandments coming down the mountain. It's Moses and the Tent of Meeting, Moses and the glory of the Lord. He was a very standalone leader. Joshua stands in contrast to him, in that Joshua is about to lead all of God's people into their inheritance. And he's going to get them to do it. In fact, the first thing he's going to do is he's going to get some priests and tell them to go and stand in a river. He says, it's going to look like they're leading it. At another time, he's going to uh, tell some trumpeters to go and make some noise around Jericho. That It's going to look like they're leading it. Behind it all, he is releasing leadership. Moses was such a key figure. For this generation of Israelites, he's the only leader they had ever known. We have an assumption which at some point in our life proves false to us, which is this, that the key figures in our life will always be there for us. If you've been around a while, you will know that those things change. God changes the season. Sometimes with people we've relied on, may die and go to be with him, or they might move away or the relationships change. Sometimes those people disappoint us. But it helps us to know that right at the start of this story, this was God's plan all along for a transition of leadership so that the people of God could enter the land. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 4, Joshua pictures something of what New Testament leadership is meant to look like, which in Ephesians 4 it says God gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be pastors and teachers, some to be evangelists, so that God's people would be equipped for works of service. The whole point of the book of Joshua is for the people of God to enter the land God has promised them. The whole point in the New Testament of the Great Commission isn't for a few people a few gifted ones to do some preaching up the front, but it's for every member, every believer to be equipped and released to do the works of ministry. So it's God's work, it's God's promise fulfilled, and it's God's requirement for total loyalty. So three questions that that the reader of Joshua must ask themselves is this. Will they trust God's initiative and work on their behalf? Secondly, will they believe what he has said? And thirdly, will they give themselves fully to him? And that's the question we must ask ourselves as followers of Jesus too. Will we trust God's work? Will we believe what he has said? And will we give ourselves fully to him? And it begins at a fast-flowing Jordan River in flood, separating them from the land of promise. Now, I love how this bit finishes in in the bit we read today, where Joshua says these rousing words. It's kind of inspiring. He says, three days from now, they've been waiting in the desert for 40 years. And he now says these amazing words. He says, three days from now, get yourselves ready. We are crossing the river. There's something so exciting about when somebody puts a time on something, isn't there? It just gets everybody's adrenaline going. It's like, finally, we're getting somewhere. Perhaps you're going on holiday, soon. You know, If you're preparing your kids or somebody else to go on holiday, perhaps you're saying, you know, three weeks from now, and you're counting down the days in preparation. You're getting ready. It kind of increases the sense of excitement. Well, three days from now, they're going to cross the Jordan. Now, I think it's kind of true in the Christian life that we read verses like this today, we think, you know what, I'm I'm waiting on some answers from God. I'm I'm waiting for some breakthrough on some significant things. I'm needing some direction. I'm needing to know uh, what my next job's going to be. I need to know what my career is going to be. I need to know which house I'm going to buy. I need to know who I'm going to marry or if I'm going to marry. I need to know how many kids to have. And we usually approach those kind of big decisions like this. We kind of say, Lord, I, I kind of need to know by Tuesday, lunchtime, please. And we read these verses and say, well, yeah, I mean, God, three days from now. And we miss the narrative of of the the character of Joshua and the the story of Joshua to understand, well, this was like a final moment in a massive process of preparation that had happened in Joshua's life. And so we're going to look at three really key preparatory moments because if we're going to be people who believe God and move forward, we must understand it's never simply about well, God says three days from now. It's actually about us having lives that are fully responsive to Him and us learning lessons of faith throughout all of our lives. And there's three lessons that uh, that Joshua learns. And uh, here's the first lesson. We're going to read about it from Exodus 17. And we could call this the lesson of the the weapons of our warfare. And here's the story. So this is a much younger Joshua, right? This is several decades earlier. And it's the first battle they've had to face as they've come out of the promised land. They're in the wilderness. And some, some Amalekites come and they set up camp and they're about to attack Israel. Moses says to a young Joshua, he says, Joshua, will you round up some people to go and fight those guys? To see them off. And Joshua no doubt feels it's a great honor. He's a young guy. It's maybe appealed to his sense of pride. And like he, Moses thinks I'm strong and I'm gifted and able. And he, no doubt he picks the best fighters he can. And this is the story it says The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I'll stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword, so there's some strange goings on in this battle. I expect Joshua didn't fully understand what was going on for a little while because it looked like at the start of the battle it was going to be a rout. Here's Joshua with his sword, and he's just going, and the Amalekites—they're just going backwards all the time. And he looks up at the hill, and he sees Moses. Moses is cheering him on. Moses' hands in the air like this. He says, "Go, Joshua! Amazing." And Joshua thinks, I'm doing so well. Moses is so pleased with me. And then, and then things go backwards. And the Amalekites start going the other way. And he's "What What is going on? And he glances up at Moses. And, and Moses is hands down. He's like, Oh, no. What, 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 what's Moses doing? And then he sees a couple of guys lit, lifting Moses' hands in the air. He thinks, What is going on up there? And then he starts winning the battle again. There's a penny that drops during this battle, that Joshua realises that he might be a gifted soldier, but he will never win battles unless somebody else is acting on his behalf. And that person is is Moses. When Moses lifts his hands, he's praying. That's what he's doing. That's what 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 Israeli men would do to to pray. They'd lift their hands. And when Moses said, I just can't keep my hands lifted up like this, I'm an old man, Some, some guy said, well, I'll lift your hands for you. Prayer was so important. The New Testament says... Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. If we're going to be people of Joshua, who are like Joshua who are able to walk into the land that God is calling us into, if we're going to be those who live lives of faith and enter into the promises God has for us individually and as a church, we must be those who realize that our dependence is on the weapons we fight with are not the weapons that we might assume. It's not human logic. It's not human wisdom. It's the power of God. Uh, A a brilliant prayer-filled leader by the name of Jim Simbala made this comment on the early church. He said, they had this instinct. When in trouble, pray. When intimidated, Pray. When challenged, pray. When persecuted, pray. They didn't talk about prayer. They didn't send praying hand emojis. They didn't say, I'll be praying for you as a way to make somebody feel better. They actually prayed and things changed. Isn't that amazing? When we pray, things change. When we pray on Wednesday night, things will change. When we pray tonight, we've got a prayer evening tonight, things change as we pray with the weapons of our warfare being prayer. The Bible teaches that God the Father strengthens us in the place of prayer. The Bible says that Jesus ever lives to intercede for us. The the Bible says that the Spirit is right now helping you and interceding for us. It's the weapons of our warfare. Joshua learned that, and we do well to learn that lesson too. Here's the second lesson that we read about in the life of Joshua, I call it the priority of God's presence. Um, so the, the promise that, that came to Joshua was God saying a lot of times, I am with you, I will be with you, I will help you, I will go with you. That only means something if you know who that person is. Is that right? So you, you kind of have to know if somebody is good for their game and whether that's really going to help you. Let me give you an example. So um, I... Let's say your car breaks down, or you have some car trouble. Who are you going to call? The, the AA, yeah, the green flag. Somebody, somebody who knows about cars. Here's somebody you're probably not going to call me. Because <laughs> you'll know I drive around a car that just has bits falling off it randomly. And I don't know anything about cars. See, I could offer, and I could say, Hey, hey, Steve, sorry your car's broken down. I'll, I'll come and help fix it. And you'd say, well, that, that's no great comfort to me. <laughs> I have to be good for my game for that to be an encouragement and a comfort. So the fact that God says in Joshua 1 to, to, to Joshua again and again, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I'll help you. I'll strengthen you. It meant one thing, that Joshua knew that this was going to be a profound help to him in what lie ahead. Where does he learn that? Well, let's look in these verses in Exodus 33. It says, as Moses went into the tent, again, this is a much earlier season in his life, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses, I'm just going to say again, it's amazing, isn't it? The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, didn't leave the tent. There's sort of two people in this story, two groups of people. One is a group of observers who, who just seem to enjoy the moment of watching God meeting with somebody else. And they're there, and it causes them to worship, and they're like, isn't that amazing what God's doing with that person, Moses? And then there's somebody else who just has a much closer understanding, and it's this guy, Joshua. And he's there in the tent, and he's watching, and he's learning. He's learning what friendship with God looks like. And he's there. Where does he learn the value of God's presence? Well, maybe it's when he overhears Moses saying something to God, like, Lord, when God says, I'm not going to go with you, Moses. I'm not going to go with the people of Israel. They've done too much sin. They've gone too far. I'll make a great nation of you, Moses, but I will not go with this people anymore. And Moses says, Lord, do not send us unless you go with us. Nobody will believe that we belong to you unless you go with us. He understood The value of God's presence because he'd been around Moses and and, and, and observed that friendship with God. In Acts 4, the opponents of the early church noted that Peter and John had been with Jesus. Just an observation of our culture is this, that we we live in an information-obsessed culture. Everybody's always sending you a link for something, aren't they? You just see this YouTube video. Watch this, read this article. I've got more links on my phone than I want to do with that I've never opened because there's just too many, isn't there? But everybody in our culture is obsessed with information. Have you read this? Have you watched this? There's something that we don't value enough. It's the presence of God, it's the person of God, it's knowing God if you miss a lecture, you can catch it up. But do you know what? The one thing you can't catch up on is if you weren't there when God was somewhere. Church is the place where God dwells by his spirit. We had a brilliant, we've we had some brilliant leaders, uh, worship leaders evenings recently. And the highlight by far, every time, we've had some great discussion, been really encouraging all those things with worship leaders and kings. The highlight by far is, is when Dara plays those keys, those notes on the keyboard at the end, and everybody just starts singing. It's like, wow, the Spirit of God came into the room. It was totally amazing. What do we miss when we miss church? Yeah, we might miss a preach that you could catch up on. You you could miss some songs that you could listen to online. But here's the thing we will definitely miss. It's his presence among us. But let me ask you personally as well, do you have a place and a time where you enjoy the love of God, where you rest in him, where you read a few pages or a few verses of scripture and allow him to speak to you? I've got a place in my house that I like to sit in. Slightly annoyingly, my daughter Evie took it over for her exam leave to make it her study space. I like to make it my place where I sit. It's the place I associate with meeting with God. Have a place that you go to. It might be your car. It might be out for a walk. It could, be, it could be that your house is not a very restful place if you've got young kids and going somewhere else is the place that you meet with God. Have a place where you spend a few minutes alone with him. Here's the third lesson. It's the lesson of fearless faith. And... Um, We'll, we'll read these verses in just a second. But Moses sent a research team into the promised land, uh, 12 spies from the 12 tribes of Israel, to report back. And these are the questions they were going to answer. Uh, he says, see what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruits of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. Um, Ten of those spies who were leaders in the nation of Israel, ten of them came back and they were carrying the largest bunch of grapes you could ever find. It took two people to carry it. It was so large on a pole. And this was their report. Ten of them said, the grapes are so big, but the people are even bigger. And the bad news is we will never ever enter the land because they will overcome us. 10 out of 12. Two of them, by the names of Joshua and Caleb, simply said, we should go up and take that land. God will be with us. 10 thought the grapes were big, but the giants were bigger. Caleb thought the giants were big, but God was bigger. And the story unfolds that they then begin to spread their report, these 10 people, and everybody starts getting very worked up about the situation. Before you know it, people are saying, our children are going to be harmed. And there's going to be a problem. We're going to get devoured if we go into the land. Everybody gets eaten in that land, is what they say. And uh, Joshua and Caleb say these words in verse 6. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. They won't devour us. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be Afraid of them. There's a moment in your Christian life, and I guarantee it will happen, when you will have to choose to stand out against people who are saying it can't be done. And these are defining things for Joshua and for Caleb. In fact, let me ask you the question Have you ever heard of Shamua, Shaphat? Egal, Palti, Gadiel, Gadi, Gamali, Sethur, Nabi, and Guel. No, they were the names of the other spies. <laughs> See, their wisdom, their caution, was t- in the scheme of salvation history and God's plan, it was totally irrelevant to God's plan. But at the moment, they thought, well, we're doing the right thing. But actually, it's Caleb and Joshua who win the day because they believe God is bigger than any situation that they face. Every journey of faith involves discouragement along the way. The the sound comes to to Joshua in in, in Joshua 1 to do not be discouraged. If you're going to follow him, there'll be moments when you feel discouragement. If you're going to be a man or a woman of faith, then it means this, that you believe that discouragements aren't the thing that defines you. It's God who fights our battles for us. This is a key moment in the life of Israel, where where some people choose to believe God And enter the land. And there's a warning in scripture. Psalm 95 is written about these episodes of the Israelites in the wilderness. And this is repeated in Hebrews 3. It says this, today, if you would only hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah. That was the place of quarreling. As you did that day at Massar in the wilderness, that was the place of testing, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, there are people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways." So I declared an oath in my anger that they shall never enter my rest. There's a today moment when it comes to responding to God in faith. I want it to invite us into that moment today. It could be that you're not yet a Christian, and it could be you think, well, maybe next year. If that scripture is to be understood, then the danger is this, that if we do not respond to God, if we choose to be defined by the the, the barrier in front of us, rather than by believing him, that can produce a hardness of the heart, where it can become increasingly hard save for the mercy of God to respond to him. So today I want to encourage you to to respond, to soften your heart, to say, God, I need your help to believe. And it could be today that you're believing God for a promise. And as we believe God together as a church for what he's calling us to, That we're to be those who remain soft-hearted to him, hearing his voice, not hardening our hearts, learning what it is to have fearless faith, learning what it is to use the weapons of our warfare, and learning what it is to have the priority of his presence.